Hey, if you were with us last week, you heard that we are doing something new during 2023, um, and it's tied into this whole 260 Bible reading plan. And uh, today we're going to be in Luke chapter 6 because Luke chapter 6 fell in this week's reading. We, were, we read from Luke uh, 5 through 10 this week. Um, tom- uh, tomorrow we're going to be in Luke 11. Can't wait to see what God is going to download to us and show us as a church family and as individuals. But I really encourage you. In fact, I think we got another slide there. Uh, if you have not yet picked up the journal that we have made available. We're, we're not going to be doing this like every week throughout the year, but in January we're doing this. If you have not picked up your journal, um, it would be so cool that on the way out that you would get a journal. Um, I know we've kind of been running low. We'll see what we have. We've ordered some more. But uh, listen, this is something that is valuable because we are not only reading God's word, but we're capturing it. Right? We're, we don't want to be people just hear it and then it's just gone. Like, you know, by the time, you know, you read it before breakfast, you get to work, you can't even remember what you read. It helps to write down what God is revealing. And so that's the whole purpose and, and intent of the journal. We're, we're really not making money on these. This is just, it's a resource to help us grow together as a church. But the cool thing is, is that our preaching calendar through the entire year is going to follow 260. So what you are reading Monday through Friday, whoever is preaching um, from this pulpit is going to be speaking out of those chapters all year long. And I'm pumped about that. Today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6. Something that I am entitling subversive good. Good that is subversive, counter-cultural. Do things seem to be stuck in a downward direction in our society? Maybe our culture, you feel like, is circling the drain. How about in your own life personally? What direction are things headed? I think a lot of people would say, man, I just feel like things are sucking me down. How can we make positive change? How can we make positive change when things are headed in the wrong direction? I think especially those of us who are Jesus followers, who want to see things moved in a direction that is really kind of informed by the gospel of Jesus, how do we see that happen? How is that even possible? And might Jesus have something to say about that? How, when things are going in the wrong direction, can they be righted and pointed towards him? We're going to be looking out of Luke chapter 6 at some very counterintuitive, powerful, and subversive words of Jesus. Are you ready? Yes. Are you ready? We're going to pick up Jesus' words in Luke 6, starting in verse 27. He said this, To you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Now, you know that Jesus is talking to a group of people who are 
in this downward spiral when, when he's addressing them as like, hey, you have enemies, you have people who are cursing you and who hate you, and actually some who have hurt you. Can anyone relate? Can anyone relate? I mean, it's like he's talking real to real people who are going through real things where there's enemies and people that are out to get them. And that's who Jesus is addressing. But before Jesus dives into this seemingly absurd list of instructions, I mean, let's just be honest, seemingly absurd list of instructions, before he dives into that, he asks this question, or he makes this this statement. He says, to you who are willing to listen, and he's like asking the question, are you willing to listen to what I'm going to be dropping on you? Because it's going to be heavy. It's not going to make sense initially. To you who are willing to listen. What Jesus is about to say is hard to hear. It is counterintuitive to the natural way that we approach life. It is subversive to our human instincts. And none of it is gonna make any sense if we are not willing to sit humbly before Jesus to listen carefully and to say, God, I'm, I'm willing to learn from you. So we just pray as we dive into this text. Jesus, the words that you're speaking here are unbelievably challenging to our souls. But we're willing to listen to you. We're willing to come and humbly sit at your feet to open up our hearts, our minds, our understanding so that we might grow in new ways, in new perspectives, that we would become more like you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. He said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, (laughs) bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. Listen, the idea of loving one's enemies, it is shocking to us. It's like, what, what does that even mean? It's unreasonable. It is so foreign to the way that we were brought up, the way we were raised. I'm, I'm an American. You're like, don't tread on me, you know, kind of a guy, right? I mean, so that some of those things are kind of like inbred into our, into our culture, into our psyche. It's like to be human is to like stand up for yourself and fight for your rights. These are the very opposite of our natural tendencies. When someone hurts us, not just accidentally, but intentionally. And that's what Jesus is getting at here because they didn't just hurt. He's talking to people who weren't just hurt, but people who were hated, who were cursed and hurt. So especially when someone hurts us intentionally, our flesh wants to retaliate. Can I love you? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to help you. I'm certainly not going to pray for you. You hurt me, I am going to crush you. That's what rises up in our human spirit. Am I right? 
I need a little feedback. I know this is a hard message, but am, is that, that's our natural human tendency. So I'm going to crush you. I'm not going to bless you, love you, pray for you. None of this makes sense to us because this is not how we operate. This is how God operates. I love how the Apostle Paul captured this thought in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Paul says this, he says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son. And you just think about that. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. We were God's enemies. We were against him. Every effort that he made to draw us near, like we had our fists raised and it's like, yeah, no, I ain't going with you. I'm going my own way. I'm doing my own thing. Cursing God. I will not give any examples there. But again, part of our culture that we've been raised in to literally curse God when bad things happen as if he is the one who's like ruining our day, raining on our parade. While we were still his enemies, he went to the cross in love for our good, for our redemption, for our healing, for our salvation, to restore relationship, this friendship with God of which Paul is speaking. See, that's how God operates. So when Jesus is dropping these things on us, he's really inviting us to this journey of becoming more like him, of operating in a manner that God operates, but it is so unnatural, so unnatural, so counterintuitive to the way we live, the way we tend to function. Listen, Jesus died for us while we were still his enemies. Why? Because love always requires action. Love always requires there to be steps taken to move from what's inside. I say I love you, but it's like, well, show me you love me. Show it to me. Jesus went to the cross as the universe's hugest example and illustration of God's love for people. And so while we are called to love our enemies, this love cannot stay within us. It must come out. It must become love put to action. It's got to be lived out. So Jesus gives us several practical examples right away. After he says, love your enemies, he gives us several practical examples of like, what might that look like in real life? So one, he says, do good to those who hate you. Do good to those who hate you. I've been thinking this week because I read it also in our 260 reading plan. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells this story about the good Samaritan. Crazy story if you understand kind of the, 
the nuances of the culture and in the time in which Jesus was giving that story. Because the Jews and the Samaritans, the people who lived in Samaria, they hated each other. They despised each other. They literally cursed each other. And, and you'll pick up on stuff as we continue reading even in Luke. They just did not behave like God would want them to be. They hated each other. And so Jesus tells this story about this Jew who's on this little journey. And he gets attacked by robbers. He's, his things are all taken. He's beat to a bloody pulp. And it says they left him half dead. And then so he's just laying there on the road. Naked, bleeding, may die. And it says that two religious guys came along. It says they passed by on the other side of the road. For whatever reason, they didn't want to get involved. This this is not my issue. I don't know what's going on, but I'm not going to get involved in that. But the third guy to come along, Jesus, really, it has to be a Samaritan. Because he was talking to a bunch of Jews. They hated Samaritans. And you know what they knew? That those Samaritans hated them right back. There's like two rival gangs, right? There's like two rival gangs, man. You, you, you're not going to like help each other. You're not going to speak kindly to each other. You're just going to like throw down curses. And if I can take you out, I'm going to. But in Jesus' story, it goes differently because that Samaritan sees him and decides to what? To do good to those who hate you says that he stops and that he comes over and it says that he tends to the man's wounds. Cares for him personally. Kind of resuscitates him back to life. And then it says he takes and puts him on his own donkey. Like, he's going to walk. And I'm going to let this guy who's all beat up and bruised, he's going to get to ride. And then he takes him to an inn where he continues to minister and care for him. But then he's got to go the next day. So he goes to the manager of the inn and says, you know what? Whatever cost this guy runs up, like he's going to probably order room service. I'll pay for it. So he takes of his time, goes out of his way, he uses his natural abilities and his talents. And then he takes of his, out, of, out of his wallet and says, I'm going to make this work so this guy can be well. I, what an amazing example of doing good to those who hate you. The good Samaritan. Finding ways. Keeping eyes open. Being observant of what those people who have been doing us wrong. What's going on in their life? And looking for opportunities to say, when there's an opportunity, I'm gonna step in and do good. God may just create an opportunity just so that you can step in and serve that individual. But he doesn't stop there. He gives another practical example, two more. He says, bless those who curse you. Blessing is something we do with our mouth. How we speak to that enemy and how we speak about that enemy to others. Are we speaking in ways that build them up 
or tear them down? To bring encouragement to their life or discouragement? Are we returning curse for curse or are we doing that exchange of blessing those who curse? How are we speaking about these individuals? And then third, he says, pray for those who hurt you. I'm telling you, this is hard. It's hard because when we start to lift up this person's name, or maybe it's a group of people who we view as enemies. I don't know who that may be for you, but you could probably think of like some part of even society or culture. Because of how they live, because of how they view you or what you stand for, what you believe in, like those are enemies. I have no love for them. Could be a political party. I could go through a whole list. I don't need to. But when you lift that person or those, that group up to Jesus, it is so hard because what does Jesus begin to do? Starts to bring conviction to our soul. Starts to bring conviction to us. And I just got to stop and say, I'll, I'll add one more to that list. Maybe it's an ethnic group for you. Maybe it's an ethnicity. Maybe it's, from a, maybe it's about people from a different part of our world who've ended up in our little corner of California. There's a lot of hate that goes around. Pray for them. Pray for those who hurt you. My dad used to pray a prayer. We'd be driving and somebody cut him off and he'd say, God, bless that person with a brick. That was his like. <laughs> I knew what was coming. <laughs> Heard it a thousand times. And made a fleas of a thousand camels and infest their, infest their armpits. That's his. That was his prayer. Love you, Dad. Those are not the kind of prayers I think Jesus is talking about here. But asking God to care for them, to resource them, to meet their needs. So hard. And if it wasn't hard enough, Jesus goes on. It's like, really, Jesus? We pick up in the next verse, in verse 29 of Luke 6. He says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. I'm giving stuff away here to robbers. Listen, Jesus is saying, when someone hurts you, in any way, physically steals from you, physically take, takes from your resource, and you're not going to get it back. Instead of retaliating, Jesus says this, double down yeah. on your willingness to be wronged. Bang. 
Double down on your willingness to be wronged. I'm right here. Come on, this, this is my stuff. I know my rights. And Jesus said, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of changing the dynamic, remember, because we don't want to keep heading down this downward spiral, we're under attack, things look bad. And he's saying, do you really want things to change? I'm going to show you how. I'm going to tell you how this change happens. But it ain't going to be easy. Give me my left cheek, but I'm offering you my right cheek as well. You took my jacket, but you know what? I still got a shirt. Do you want it? Why would Jesus say this? (laughs) Because this is exactly what he did to bring radical change in our world. Listen, people didn't just say terrible things about Jesus. They beat Jesus. They didn't just beat Jesus. They nailed Jesus to a cross and crucified him. He was willing to be wronged in order to create real change within the human story. To create the possibility that we could move from death to life, (coughs) from hate to love. So then it's right here where Jesus says something that I know you've heard before, because it's called the golden rule. It's verse 31. And Jesus says this, he says, do to others as you would like them to do to you. And so it begs the question, how do you want to be treated by others? How do you want to be treated? Do you really want to be treated the way you deserve? Do you really want to be treated the way you deserve? Because this is what scripture tells us right here. Going back to Romans. Romans chapter 6, 23. Paul says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The wages of sin is death. That is what all of us deserve, is death. Aren't you thankful that Jesus does not treat us as we deserve? So the golden rule is about not treating people as they deserve. Because they deserve our wrath, just like we deserve God's wrath. They deserve it. But the golden rule is about flipping that. Not treating people as they deserve, but how we want to be treated with mercy, with grace. It is by grace we've been saved. I didn't earn it. I certainly did not deserve it. But salvation was this free gift of God to an undeserving person like me. Jesus saying, treat others as I have treated you. 
because I know that's the way you really want to be treated, with mercy and grace, not as you deserve. He goes on and he says this, if you love only those who love you, why should you get any credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. Well, that's an interesting thought. Sinners love those who love them. Is Jesus giving us a clue that if sinners are loved, how he's saying, love your enemies, bless, do good, pray for? Is he saying that that might be a way that change may come in that sinner's life? Because even sinners love those who love them. So maybe if we love them, things might change. And if you only do good to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Jesus is asking these questions here that are so pointed, but he's asking, what is different about your life now that you have like turned to Jesus and, and you've, you've received him? You have received his grace and his mercy and his love. What is different now about you than when you were living a life separated from me in sin? He's like, shouldn't there be a difference now? Shouldn't something have changed within your life and your story when you went from death to life, from sin to salvation, from guilt to forgiven, right? You've been set free. Shouldn't there be a difference? What has changed? And I think for that change to come about, that true change, where we can operate with a subversive love that is designed by God to shift the hearts of people and humanity. To do this, we've got to break the tendency that we have to live within our holy huddle. You know what I mean by holy huddle? Like I'm going to do good things to people who I like, who are like me, who will like me in return, who look like me, who pray like me, who believe like I believe. We have this tendency, this magnetic draw to people who are like us. That has to be broken, like in the spirit, that we would be able to go out and love people who are different. And not just different, people who today hate us, our enemies, people who we've been hearing have been cursing us, doing wrong towards us. We've got to break out of these huddles. Break out. Last scripture, 
in the statement of Jesus right here. He goes on, but I'm, I'm going to stop here. Verse 35, he kind of starts with a little recap. But then he tells us, I think, something that's so cool. He gives us a couple outcomes of what happens. So he gives a little recap. Verse 35, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven. This is the first of two outcomes. Listen, then your reward from heaven will be very great. We'll come back to that in a moment. And you will truly be acting as children of the most high. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Let me talk about that second outcome real quick. If we do those things, if we love our enemies, if we do good to them, lend without expecting repayment, and as he said earlier, even pray for them. When we're doing these kind of things, the second outcome that he talks about is that we will actually be like God. Here's, here's the way I'd say it. When we're acting in those ways, we are embodying the gospel. Like, like in our flesh and blood, we are embodying it. Like, do you ever embody something? Like, I see a Raiders fan up here. Okay, all right? More than one. During football season, they embody the Raiders, right? I mean, they're like part of Raider Nation. They've got the gear. They've got the drip. I mean, it's like they absolutely embody the Raiders. Sometimes you meet someone who embodies a political party, right? Some people are all about embodying their gender identity, right? They embody it. You meet them and you just got, I, I just kind of, I think I figured out what they're all about. They embody it. What Jesus is saying here is what if you were to embody the gospel, the good news, that you don't get what you deserve. You get grace, you get mercy. You don't get wrath, you get love. What if you were to embody the gospel? And that's what he's saying when he's saying that you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, meaning you are going to look like your father. You are going to be looking like Jesus, his son. We become an embodiment of the gospel. We're not just told to go out and preach at people, right? We're called to live it out. I think that's what Jesus is, this whole message is about. Don't just love them, show them. In counterintuitive, subversive ways. Subversive to our culture, to our human natural instincts and tendencies. Then the first of the outcomes. Go ahead and put that scripture back up. He says, do these things, then your reward from heaven will be very great. I just want to talk for a second about that. What would, I, what would my reward for heaven be if I am loving my enemy, doing good towards them, blessing them, and actually praying for them? 
You know what I think it is? I think is that there's going to be a shift in relationship where that person is no longer my enemy. I think that is the reward from heaven. What else would it be? Like a new television? (laughs) And I want a new car from God. You know what I mean? It's like, that ain't the reward, I think. The reward is all about this relational healing. It's all about reconciling people who are enemies, right? Why, why would I be praying for my enemy, for God to bless them and for there to be some sort of healing so that, like, you know, I, I get a better whatever, better job, better. What is the reward from heaven that I am seeking? I am seeking that this enmity, this hatred, this fighting would cease. And that I would be able to share the love of Jesus with this person who's got brokenness and anger and hatred and cursing all wrapped up within them. I want that person set free. Friends, what is the great reward from heaven? Seeing people set free that we might be made whole in relationship. That, I believe, is the great reward from heaven. Life-changing, history-shaping events that are made possible by the subversive, counterintuitive embodiment of the gospel in radical ways, revolutionary ways. Tomorrow we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. We celebrate him as a nation tomorrow. And I've been meditating heavily over these past days on his life and how he seemed to be someone who truly embodied what I've been talking about. A living example of what Jesus was sharing. Why don't you put that first slide up? I wanna share a few things about Martin Luther King Jr.'s life that I was reminded of. He was hated He was cursed, he was harassed, he was threatened. He was the victim of violent attacks, including a stabbing that nearly took his life. His home was bombed while his wife and seven-month-old daughter were in the home. He was arrested and jailed 29 times, including for going 30 miles an hour in a 25 mile an hour zone. Ultimately, he was assassinated in 1968 at 39 years of age. Something that I read about this week that I'd I'd never heard before was that when his home was bombed in Montgomery, Alabama, Martin was speaking at a nearby church that evening when the bombing occurred. Wife was home, obviously seven-month-old little girl. She stayed home. Said, but he was around a corner at another church preaching. The bomb went off and 
almost instantly the news spread. Martin's home was bombed. And this crowd assembles at his home who's just angry. They're so upset. They're so filled with rage over this attack on this man of God who was working for freedom. And this is what I read. After just only a matter of minutes from his home being bombed, Martin came running and standing feet away from the site of the explosion. And you can go to that second slide. This is what he preached to that crowd who had assembled in his front lawn. I want you to love our enemies. Be good to them. Love them. And let, you, and let them know that you love them. Listen, friends, an embodiment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was the following year in his famous message entitled Loving Your Enemies, which he talked about a lot, quite extensively. But the following year after this bombing of his, of his home, he said this in that message. You can go to that next slide. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Listen, I take his word for it because he embodied this like no one else I can even get my mind around, at least in our contemporary history and society and culture. I don't say these things just to honor him, and though I do. I say these things to stir our hearts to say it is possible to see change come even in society when we take Jesus' words seriously and become an embodiment of the gospel. It was because of Martin Luther King Jr.'s commitment to nonviolent action and to living out what it would really mean to love one's enemies. Through his work, I believe that was inspired by the spirit of the living God, transformation did happen. Not quickly, but his work played a pivotal role in seg segregation being outlawed in our nation and to the passing of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. His work, his willingness to be wronged, and in spite of that, instead of retaliating, doubling down, doubling down on his person that embodied this truth, that we must love our enemies and we must not do it in ways that is through word alone, but through action. Change did come. So, how, how might we just practically respond <laughs> to this crazy, subversive message? 
Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. I believe that like the Good Samaritan, we can begin looking for opportunities. That when those who have, we've been in strife against each other, when, when they've even cursed us and done terrible things, when some opportunity arises because of a need in their life, that we're ready to step in and say, you know what, I think that God has prepared me for this moment. I think that's what we can do. Be ready to go and meet a need. To pay a bill. But, but I want you to also note one thing. You know, at the end of the list, you know, is pray for those who hurt you. You could feel like prayer is almost a cop-out. <laughs> Lord, whatever you're going to do with them, do it. Whatever discipline, Lord, they need in their life, Lord, discipline them. Correct them, Lord. Whatever, you know, those kind of prayers. But you know what? I really do believe that much of this does begin with prayer. <coughs> when we would come before the Lord and say, God, I don't even know what this is going to look like. But I am willing to take a step in that person's direction. Or towards that other group that, like, I despise them and they despise everything that I stand for. I'm going to take a step. I'm going to begin to pray. God, would you bless? God, would you set free? God, would you encourage? God, with all your grace and mercy, Lord, would you begin to work on their behalf? And I believe that something will begin to change within us but also, I believe that God is then going to begin to create opportunities where we're going to be able to work towards reconciliation by doing good, speaking blessing, and maybe even praying directly for them in the future. Are you willing? Are you willing to take a step? Are you willing to say, God, I don't know what this is going to look like, but God, would you show me? Because change needs to happen. Change must happen, not only in my situation, but in our culture and in the world. Why don't we pray? God, as I've been just sharing your words about people who have hurt us, I'm sure there have been a thousand thoughts within this room and those who have been listening in and watching online. Lord, of actual events of pain and hurt. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that any hurt that is still alive and remains, any open wounds, the Lord, that even right now you would begin to minister to, to bring your healing touch. Lord, you never intended that we would stay hurt. We may bear a scar as a reminder of where we were hurt, but God, that that wound would not be open, infected, painful for the rest of our lives. Lord, you are the healing God. And so Lord, I just pray for your Holy Spirit's healing work, Lord, over any live, active hurts and wounds, maybe even from decades ago. 
But today, Lord, you're, you're bringing those back to memory, Lord, that there might be healing. So I pray for that. But God, now I ask, Lord, that, that you would help us to be people who would live out this message. It is not a natural message. It is a supernatural message. It does not fit within our cultural understanding of how to live a healthy life. But Lord, you just walk all over that. You stomp all over that. And you say, by my spirit, this is possible. Because with God, all things are possible. And so Lord, we pray, Lord, for the impossible to become possible in our stories. In Jesus' name. Lord, that those who have been enemies, Lord, as we begin to pray for them, as we begin, Lord, to find ways to bless, to do good toward, to pray for, Lord, that change would come, that that would be our reward. Lord, and I pray, Lord, that as we even step into this week, that we would be reminded of this, and that, Lord, that healing would come, Lord, not five years from now, not 10 years from now, but Lord, five days from now. That God, that you might even prompt some people to like today, pick up the phone and call that person that maybe you've been estranged from because of old wounds and hurts. What is God prompting in your spirit right now to work towards healing and restoration? I charge you in Jesus' name to do those very things. And then let's gather back together and share the stories of what God's doing. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Ministry team, <coughs> Ministry team, would you come? Listen, if you do have a hurt and you're like, I don't want this anymore. I've been carrying this too long. Maybe it's from this week. Maybe it's from decades past. Don't leave today without coming and just receiving something from the Lord of his touch on that area of pain. Maybe you just wanna pray that God would bring encouragement to your story. Maybe you're just going through a hard patch. Man, come and receive prayer. Come and receive a blessing today. Church, you are loved so that you can love. Go do it. Have a great week.